Well, if you uh, have a Bible, please open them to page 830. We're going to be looking at Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 1. Let me welcome you here, especially if you're new and you're visiting. I'm also new, so it's great to have you here with us. Uh, Maybe you're new to Christianity and you find the, the Bible sometimes a bit weird and I guess your first, your, your worst fears have been realized. You've come into church and you've heard a passage about eating birds and lizards and now we're about to read Ezekiel chapter 1, which can seem pretty odd. Uh, but let me tell you, let me encourage you, this is profoundly relevant and such an amazing passage of Scripture. Uh, so Ezekiel chapter 1, I'm going to read Uh, from verse 1 all the way through to chapter 2, verse 7. In the thirtieth year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the Kabar River, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. On the fifth of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiachin, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Butsi, by the Kibar River in the land of the Babylonians. There the hand of the Lord was upon him. I looked, and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning, surrounded by brilliant light. The center of the fire looked like glowing metal, and in the fire was what appeared like four living creatures. In appearance, their form was that of a man, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, their feet were like those of a calf and gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had the hands of a man. All four of them had faces and wings, and their wings touched one another. Each one went straight ahead, they did not turn as they moved. Their faces looked like this. Each of the four had the face of a man, and on the right side, the face of a lion, and on the left side, the face of an ox. Each also had the face of an eagle. Such was their faces. Their wings were spread out upwards, each had two wings, one touching the wing of another creature on either side and two wings covering its body. Each one went straight ahead, wherever the spirit would go, they would go, without turning as they went. The appearance of the living creatures was like burning coals of fire or like torches. Fire moved back and forth among the creatures. It was bright and lightning flashed out of it. The creatures sped back and forth like flashes of lightning. As I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the ground beside each creature with its four faces. This was the appearance and structure of the wheels. They sparkled like chrysolite, and all four looked alike. Each appeared to be made like a wheel intersecting a wheel. As they moved, they would go in any one of the four directions the creatures faced. The wheels did not turn about as the creatures went. Their rims were high and awesome, and all four rims were full of eyes all around. When the living creatures moved, the wheels beside them moved. And when the living creatures rose from the ground, the wheels also rose. Wherever the Spirit would go, they would go. And the wheels would rise along with them because the Spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When the creatures moved, they also moved. When the creatures stood still, they also stood still. And when the creatures rose from the ground, the wheels rose along with them because the Spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. Spread out above the heads of the living creatures was what looked like an expanse, sparkling like ice and awesome. Under the expanse, their wings were stretched out one towards the other, and each had two wings covering its body. When the creatures moved, 
I heard the sound of their wings, like the roar of rushing waters, like the voice of the Almighty, like the tumult of an army. When they stood still, they lowered their wings. Then there came a voice from above the expanse over their heads as they stood with lowered wings. Above the expanse over their heads was what looked like a throne of sapphire. and High above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up looked like glowing metal as if full of fire, that from there down he looked like fire and brilliant light surrounded him like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. So was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness, the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down and I heard the voice of one speaking. He said to me, son of man, stand up on your feet and I will speak to you. As he spoke, the spirit came into me and raised me to my feet and I heard him speaking to me. He said, son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have been in revolt against me to this very day. The people to whom I am sending you are obstinate and stubborn. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them or their words. Do not be afraid, though briars and thorns are all around you and you live among scorpions. Do not be afraid of what they say or terrified by them, though they are a rebellious house. You must speak my words to them, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious. Let me pray and ask God's help as we look at that amazing passage together. Father, Thank you for this wonderful portion of scripture. This book is just amazing, so relevant to us and our situation. Father, I pray that tonight we would just have a bigger view of you and who you are and that we would marvel that you, the great and glorious God, are the God who speaks. Speak to us now, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, there's some books in the Bible that are easier to understand than others. Uh, Ezekiel can seem like one of the, the harder books in the Bible. It's actually not that complicated a book. Uh, it's really cool. I absolutely love it. Just been doing a series through Ezekiel and Chalmers, uh, and it's been so helpful to us as a church. One of the things that's really stood out for us, I think, is that it's really stretched our understanding of who God is and our understanding of ourselves and our own sinful nature. Uh, This book has a great way of doing that. Really, Ezekiel is about one thing, the glory of God. That's what the book of Ezekiel is about. It's about the movement of the glory of God. Now, what is the glory of God? It's actually quite a hard thing to define. And I think when the Bible talks about the glory of God, it means the, the kind of visible manifestation of his greatness. It's his character. It's his, his holiness, the, the thing that just makes him unique and majestic. And, and so his glory in Ezekiel and in, all throughout the Bible is always synonymous with his presence. Where God is, that is where his glory will be. That is where his greatness is. 
And technically, we know, yes, God is everywhere, but we can't see him. His, his glory is his kind of, his, his focused, visible presence in his people. And this book, Ezekiel, it was written around 600 years before Jesus Christ. And at that time, everyone believed that, that God's glory, that the visible manifestation of his presence was to be found in one place and one place only on the earth, in the temple in Jerusalem. That was the one connecting point between God and man. That was where God lived with his people in the temple in Jerusalem. But here's the big problem. Here's the problem in Ezekiel. God's people, the nation of Israel, they had kept turning their backs on him. If you know anything of Old Testament history, you know that Israel is marked by constant rebellion against God. They kept ignoring him. They kept rebelling against his word. And God warned them time and time again that if they are constantly disobedient, he would leave them. He would walk out. His glory would leave the temple and they would be destroyed. But they didn't listen. So in 597 BC, God sent the mighty Babylonian empire to wipe out his people. And they came right to the door of God's own holy city, Jerusalem. And they took it over and they carried off a large group of its population off into exile to Babylon. And one of the men they took off was a young man in his 30s who was training to be a priest in the temple, and his name was Ezekiel. Now, in 597 BC, the Babylonians didn't completely destroy Jerusalem, and nor did they destroy the temple. So at the time that Ezekiel writes this, what many of the Jews thought, what many of the Israelites thought, was that God won't let Jerusalem fall. No way. God will not let Jerusalem fall. That's his holy city. God will not let his temple be destroyed. That's where his glory is. But God speaks in this book, in the book of Ezekiel, to tell them, to tell those exiles that had been carted off to Babylon, that despite what they think, the temple is going to be destroyed, and God is going to walk out on his people. So the first two-thirds of the, the book of Ezekiel are really dark, difficult to read, as God lays out the severity of their sin and why he is judging them. But the end of Ezekiel is amazing. Because in spite of all that, you have at the end of this book these chapters that are full of promises of hope and restoration, that he will renew them, that he will not leave them, that he will take those exiles that have been uh, left in Babylon, and he will create this new covenant with them plans of, of God's plan to, to make this new humanity that will be united around his shepherd king. Promises that we today know were eventually filled in Jesus. And I think it's really helpful to bear that in mind as, as you read Ezekiel. I hope maybe this will kind of spur you on to read it in your own uh, private times. But it's helpful to bear that in mind. Ezekiel is a book that looks forward, that, that makes promises that didn't begin to be fulfilled until the arrival of Jesus. So let's dive into this opening section of Ezekiel. The big question that is, that is being asked as Jerusalem is about to be destroyed is will God's glory be with his people? As Israel loses her land, does it mean that she will lose her God? 
And God wants them to know why all of this happened and what hope there is for the future. But before he commissions Ezekiel to go out and to speak to these rebellious people, God reminds Ezekiel and he reminds the exiles and he reminds us here today of what he is like. And as Ezekiel sits 700 miles away from Jerusalem, 700 miles away from the temple, by the banks of the Kibar River, he sees the glory of God. I've got two points. I really just want to focus on the first. So I don't know what, I'm just going to make reference to the second. Firstly, we see the vision of the glorious God. And secondly, we hear the voice of the glorious God. Firstly then, the vision of the glorious God. Now this is breathtaking. And, and as we begin, I want us to realize something key. We are not Ezekiel. So this is not normal, you'll be relieved to know, because many of us won't have had this kind of vision of God. Ezekiel had a unique commission to speak God's word to his people. He was a prophet, and we don't have prophets today. We can read from them, we can learn from them, because it's the same God who speaks to us today, but we don't have prophets. That is not how God speaks to us today. Just to, we will get into Ezekiel 1, just setting it up majorly. Just turn forward in your Bibles if you've got them to Hebrews chapter 1. I think that's a really, really helpful verse to have kind of hanging over uh, the book of Ezekiel. Hebrews chapter 1, it's on page uh, 1201 of the church Bibles. This is what uh, the author to the Hebrews writes um, in the New Testament. In the past, he says, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. And listen to this. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. How does God speak to us today? Not through prophets, but through Jesus Christ, who is the radiance of the glory of God. Uh, Do you notice in Ezekiel, come turn back to Ezekiel chapter one. Do you notice in that vision there that it's kind of, starts off very detailed, but it gets vague, quite vague as it goes on and on. Uh, He keeps saying things like, well, it was like this, it was, it was kind of like that, it, it had the appearance of this. In fact, look at uh, verse 28, he says, such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So, do you see that? What he saw was not the glory of the Lord, nor was it the likeness of the glory of the Lord, but it was an appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. He saw this amazing sight, but there was kind of a a lack of clarity as to what God's glory was like. And if Hebrews chapter 1 is true, which it is, then we today have a clearer picture of God's glory because everything is clearer in Jesus Christ. He is the radiance of God's glory. So as we unpack this, uh, my, my aim simply tonight is for us to understand the glory of Jesus. I want to kind of stretch our understanding of, of who he is, because here's the danger, I think, in many churches today. We have tamed Jesus to make him only about us 
and our personal relationship with him. And whilst that is true that he is very personal and he is loving, that must not detract from the overwhelming greatness and power and majesty that is reflected in Jesus Christ. And that's where Ezekiel 1 is going to help us tonight. So what does Ezekiel see then in this passage in God's glory? Three things, they all begin with S. Uh, as usual, three points, three points, alliteration. Firstly, he sees the supreme authority of God. In God's glory, he sees his supreme authority. And vision kind of very slowly builds up the tension. By the way, it's very symbolic, the language, so it's not some, I'm glad there's not a stained glass window kind of representation of this. It's not something you're meant to draw uh, a picture of. Um, you, you can't tame God like that and confine him to a picture. There's a lot of symbolic language. Uh, but nevertheless, this is something that Ezekiel did actually see. And you notice that he begins by describing these four living creatures that, that come out of this fiery storm and whirlwind, these creatures that have a kind of human likeness, but with wings spread out, touching one another. Look at verse 10. When the living creatures, uh, sorry, verse 10, their faces looked like this. Each of the four had the face of a man, and on the right side, each had the face of a lion, and on the left side, the face of an ox. Each also had the face of an eagle. So humanity was kind of seen as the, the pinnacle of God's creation back in Genesis. Uh, the lion is, I guess, the highest order of wild animals. Uh, the ox would be the highest order of domestic animals. And the eagle is the highest order of birds. So Ezekiel is trying to describe that what he saw in these creatures was creatures that embodied the highest attributes of creation the most noble, the most beautiful beings in all creation. We know from later on, Ezekiel chapter 10, that these creatures are what the Bible calls cherubim, these creatures with the, the faces and the wings and the hands underneath their wings. Uh, they are the angelic beings that served God. So when you think of a cherubim, get, the, get out of your heads this kind of image of you know, a, a chubby little baby in a nappy. Um, this is what cherubim look like, these magnificent, indescribably terrifying creatures. So next time you call your wee one a little cherub, you're, you're saying to them, you, you little four-faced creature riding on lightning. And these are the, the, the kind of, they're the guardians of God's glory, these cherubim. Kind of like a, a heavenly secret service. They are guarding God's glory, his heavenly bodyguard to serve and protect the glory of God. And next to these four living creatures, Ezekiel describes these great wheels, which we'll look at in a, min in a minute. But above them, verse 22, is this expanse that is beautiful and radiant. And these four living creatures are, are kind of holding this expanse up. And the tension is building as Ezekiel is, is describing in detail his vision. As he's kind of starting at the bottom and he's, he's looking up. He sees the four living creatures. He looks above them and he sees the expanse. And as he looks further up, the, the vision becomes more incredible and yet it becomes more vague. Verse 26, there's the, the likeness of a throne. And then he looks even higher. And he sees someone that's like a human being, 
And as he looks up, he can't, can't see any higher than the waist because he's so overwhelmed with, with brilliant uh, and overpowering light and fire. And if you step back from this vision, there's a lot of confusing detail, I guess. But if you step back from this, it's really describing one thing. And I hadn't realized that until I, I kind of studied Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel's vision is one of God riding a heavenly chariot. It's an image of, of God kind of as this divine warrior, an eternal king sitting on his throne above this expanse with these creatures beneath him and these wheels moving this heavenly chariot. It's a vision that is incredible. The splendor and the majesty and the supreme authority are just unparalleled. And when we speak of God, this is who we speak of. And the original readers of Ezekiel needed to see this because as you'll notice from chapter 2, the people that Ezekiel is speaking to are rebellious people. Those who think that they know God, but who in actuality are rebelling against him. They've relied so much upon their religious identity, but they've been rebelling against him this whole time. And they need to understand Babylon's destruction of Jerusalem, that the destruction of the temple, which is imminent, comes not from the hands of Babylon's king, but from God himself. This is a vision of the divine warrior king, of God on his chariot. And this is a vision that is showing these people that God is coming to wage war against them. Cannot mess with this God. There's an ominous note to this vision. It's beautiful, it's wonderful, it's glorious. But for these people, this is God coming to wage war on them. He is terrifying. And yet, this glorious God that Ezekiel sees is the same God that 600 years later came to us as a human being. And that's what makes Jesus so amazing, that this great, magnificent King would humble himself to become a fragile human baby, God in the flesh. What do you see of Jesus when you read the Gospels? You see there's a kind of approachability to Jesus, that there's a kindness to him, that even the little children would run to him to play with him. But there's also great fear when people come into contact with Christ. The demons saw him, and they cowered because they saw through the flesh and they saw who this really was this great king who had come to judge them although Jesus came as a suffering servant to save us Jesus himself wants us to be clear that when he comes back and he will come back it will not be as a suffering servant to save but it will be as a risen king to judge he says himself this in Mark 13, verse 26. You will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. That's a terrifying thought for those who aren't trusting Jesus. Just as this vision, it was a terrifying prospect for the exiles not trusting God in Ezekiel's time. You do not mess with Jesus. But this aspect of God's glory is also immensely comforting. It was immensely comforting for people like Ezekiel, who, who are prisoners in Babylon, 
and immensely comforting for those today who are genuinely following God. We are reminded that no matter what the circumstance, there is only one king who sits on the throne, one king who governs it all. Jesus is the great warrior. In fact, if you read Revelation 19, you see that the Apostle John uses a lot of the Ezekiel language here to describe the return of Jesus. I wonder if you've ever thought of Jesus as a warrior. That's how the Bible defines him. That's got to be in our vocabulary if we're talking about Jesus. And that's a great comfort for his people because it means that if he is not fighting against us, he will fight for us. He will fight for his people right up to the point that he was willing to be crucified and to bear God's judgment for our sins because he will fight for our salvation. Jesus is infinitely greater than we could comprehend. And we've got to start thinking bigger about who he is. He is the radiance of the glory of God. Now, I, I wonder, maybe in, in evangelicalism today, if one of the things that we've, we might have slightly lost is a kind of an aspect of having some mystery to God and his character. I don't mean that God's unknown. We, we'll see later that God speaks and he's very clear about what we can know about him. But we don't give much room to the mystery of God in a sense that we feel we've got to defend God to the help. We've got to explain every single aspect about him. That we've got to understand everything about him. But we mustn't do that. We mustn't try and tame this God of Ezekiel 1. We mustn't try and limit him or confine him you know, if we're going through hard times, he doesn't tell us why. But he does tell us who he is. And that is what we really need. And we need to give room for God to be God. He is the king. We need to trust that our lives are in the safest and most secure place possible when they are in the hands of this great and awesome king that Ezekiel saw. Second thing we see in this vision of God's glory is his sovereign mobility. We see his supreme authority, but we also see, secondly, his sovereign mobility. Did you notice that a lot of this vision is devoted to movement? So the living creatures at the base of the chariot, um, they are dictated by the Spirit of God which way to go. They can go in four directions, north, south, east, or west, and they're, they're constantly moving Verse 14, the living creatures darted to and fro like the appearance of a flash of lightning. And next to them are these huge wheels to move this great chariot of God's glory. Verse 15, as I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the ground beside each creature with its four faces. This was the appearance and structure of the wheels. They, they sparkled like chrysolite, and all four looked alike. Each appeared to be made like a wheel intersecting a wheel. As they moved, they would go in any one of the four directions the creatures faced. The wheels did not turn about as the creatures went. Their rims were high and awesome, and all four rims were full of eyes all around. Now, why is there such an emphasis on the, the mobility of God's glory here? Why is there such a big emphasis on movement? Think about what the Israelites understood at the time of Ezekiel, what they thought about God's glory. They thought it was confined to one place only, to the temple in Jerusalem. In fact, there's a, there's a lot of temple imagery in this vision. The way that the four creatures are positioned is in, in kind of a square shape. 
So the, their wings are, are spread out, touching one another. One's facing this way, and then another's facing this way, and another's facing that way. And they form a kind of cube. And if you were to go into the temple, if you were to go into the most holy place, um, which you couldn't do. If you did, you would see the glory of God and you would die. But if somehow you were to see it, you would notice that it's shaped like a cube. And that was the place where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. Now, if you've read your Old Testament or if you've seen Indiana Jones, you know what that Ark looked like. It's a a gold chest with two cherubim. And what are they doing? Their wings are outstretched and they're touching each other. And all of this is symbolic of the presence of God. The temple was where God was. The holy place was where God was. This vision is is where God is. But this vision is telling us that that God's presence is not confined to one place. It's mobile. These great and awesome wheels, they show his omnipresence. And the kind of eyes all around the wheels, they're symbolic of his omniscience. There's nowhere that he cannot be, and there's nothing that he does not see. And this is huge, because if you had asked Ezekiel at this time, if you had asked him, is God with you? Do you know what I think he would have said? I think he would have said, no. God's in the temple in Jerusalem. And what happens then when God's temple is destroyed? Well, hope is lost. Because the connecting point between God and man is gone. But this vision shows us that's not the case. God's glory is here with Ezekiel, right here in Babylon, by the banks of the Kibar Canal. And notice, verse 4, notice where the glory comes from? It comes from the north. It doesn't come from the south where Jerusalem is. It comes from the north because God is not hindered by circumstance. God is not confined by geography. And again, this vision is is stretching and enlarging our understanding of God. And so Christ, the radiance of God's glory, reminds us that he too is not hindered by circumstance or geography. What do we look at this morning in Matthew's gospel? What does he say? The very last words in Matthew's gospel. Behold, I am with you always, right until the very end of the age. He is with us now by his Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that that moved this heavenly chariot of God is with us now because we have been forgiven by Jesus and the New Testament makes this very clear. We are the temple. We are the temple. When Jesus saves you, he keeps you. When he gets you, he cannot lose you. This God is with us always. Do you know, the New Testament writers, they often talk about life as a Christian as being like an exile in Babylon, especially Peter and 1 Peter. And just as they were away from home then, we know that we too are away from home as Christians. We are made to be with God in his glory. So this world is great and it's full of wonderful things that God has given us, but it's not our home. And there are moments that we are reminded of that. Moments like this this week when we see such acts of evil. Moments of sickness or hurt or death. Or moments when we even look at our own sinful hearts. You see, it can be very isolating being a Christian. And the vision of the glorious God in Ezekiel chapter 1 reminds us that he is not absent. 
A fact that is cemented by the fact by what Jesus has done for us. Jesus does not abandon those whom he dies for. But just as in the first point, the first point there was a kind of note of warning for those rebellious exiles. There's a note of warning here as well. You see, the comfort for the Christian is that God will not leave them. But also note this, you cannot escape from God. If you reject him, you will have to face him. You will have to face him. And Ezekiel is getting us all here to see that there is no refuge from this king, only in this king. Third thing we see in this vision is his splendorous majesty. We've seen his his movement, we've seen his sovereignty, and we see, thirdly, his splendorous majesty. I just the, the thing to pick up on this vision, did you notice how how noisy and colourful and beautiful it is? Again, this is maybe an, maybe an attribute of God that we miss. Everything's just so breathtaking for Ezekiel when he gazes at God's glory. All the images that are used here are designed to kind of conjure up in our mind images of beauty and of majesty to make us feel the wonder of God and therefore to see and to, to taste the beauty of Christ who radiates his glory. The chariot of God, it comes on a thunderstorm, verse 4, on a great cloud with fire flashing back and forth continually. And in the midst of the fire is this, as it were, gleaming metal. I don't know if you've ever been on a thunderstorm. I went on a, um, I went on a stag do uh, not too long ago where we um, climbed a Monroe as part of the stag do. And it wasn't very well organized because we got caught in the middle of a thunderstorm and it was terrifying. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where, where you just kind of feel the awesome power of nature with flashes of lightning and the, the, the deep rumble of thunder. It's terrifying. The majesty of God is terrifying. Fire is everywhere in this vision. It, it kind of conveys something that, that is mesmerizing yet dangerous. And there's the great wheels that, that sparkle like chrysolite. Some of the translations say beryl. It's a, it's a kind of precious stone that is um, found in granite, a mixture of kind of pink and green. Very beautiful to look at. Or there's the great expanse that the creatures are holding up. Verse 22. This, this incredible expanse that is shining, like sparkling like ice. Awesome. Awe-inspiring. It's like frost on a, on a cold winter morning. It's like awe-inspiring crystal, like a, like a diamond. And on the expanse is this great throne in appearance like sapphire. It's this dazzling beauty that just surrounds God on his throne. Verse 28. Like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance about him. And it's not just visible splendor. It's so noisy, this vision. Notice what Ezekiel says there in verse 24. When the creatures moved, I heard the sound of their wings, like the roar of rushing waters. I don't know if you've ever been to Niagara Falls and if you've um, ever been, there's a little lookout kind of down near where, where the, in the middle of the waterfall and the noise is just deafening. Like the roar of rushing waters when these creatures moved. Like the voice of the Almighty 
It's like the tumult of an army. It's like a great, massive army marching. Sound that Ezekiel was all too familiar with. Do you see how this is stretching our understanding of who God is? The beauty and the majesty of God is, is to use Ezekiel's word, awesome. And he's one of the few people in history that uses that word correctly. It's awe-inspiring. Think of moments of beauty like the, the valleys of, of Glencoe in springtime, or if you've ever been anywhere, if you're fortunate, fortunate enough to have ever been to the Alps or to Victoria Falls, or if you've ever seen the Northern Lights, people pay to see these things because they're incredible. Well, that experience of wonder is a tiny, muddy, pale reflection of what Ezekiel saw. Oh, to see this would be unbelievable. David says in Psalm 27, Oh, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord always so I can gaze upon his beauty. And that beauty and that splendor is not diminished by Jesus, but magnified in Christ. And I don't mean physically. We don't, we don't really know much about Jesus' physical appearance apart from that he really wasn't much to look at. He just looked fairly average. And that's what the prophet Isaiah says about him. But it's his character that is just unimaginably beautiful. You know, if you're a follower of Jesus, there's just something that is so captivating about him. Like you want more. You see, following him is not simply just obeying a king, but it's being, being completely enamored by who he is. Because he is not just a man this is the great God of Ezekiel's vision in the flesh, radiating glory. There's just this joy-filled wonderment that comes from learning about Christ. And you want more because you realize that there's so much more to grasp and you haven't got it. And Jesus says that one day we will see him face to face. You see, the promise of the gospel, the promise of Christianity is not a peaceful life now or even long life or or happiness by kind of any other merely human measure, the promise of the gospel is that you will see God in his glory. And that's what Jesus died to achieve for us. That's the vision of the glorious God. Let me just conclude by briefly saying that we hear the voice of the glorious God. The vision is there to expand our understanding of God. And all that we see of him here, his greatness, his majesty, his power, his, his authority, all of that is there to set up verse 28. The very end of verse 28, I heard the voice of one speaking. Do you know what's so amazing about this great God? He speaks. See that in chapter 2, verse 1? Son of man, stand up on your feet, and I will speak to you. As he spoke, the Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. He's repeating it. This great God speaks. You know, there is a, there is a mystery to God that we must have. That we've got to let God be God because he is just so great. But don't confuse that with a lack of clarity. This great God wants to be known. He tells Ezekiel, go and tell. And he knows that they won't listen, but he still speaks. Go and tell, go and tell. And if you read through Ezekiel, the whole purpose of God speaking, you'll see that there's, there really is one big purpose. 
And it's a repeated phrase that's used all throughout the book of Ezekiel. And it's this, that you will know that I am the Lord. That you will know that I am the Lord. He wants to be known. Why? Because he cares. He wants us to know what's true. If we're vague about God and what he is like, it's not because he hasn't revealed himself. It's because we haven't listened. We can hear his voice in Ezekiel, in all the prophets, but but as Hebrews 1 reminds us, in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. What better way for God to communicate to humanity than by becoming one of us? This great and awesome God becoming a man. That's why the Apostle John says this in John 1.14, Jesus the Word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. And this is what's most incredible. John says, we have seen his glory. It's not an appearance of the likeness. We saw it. Glory of God in Jesus. And so Ezekiel, the Bible is an invitation to know him. Are you bored with God? Are you cold to the gospel? Do you find that you just have no heart for evangelism? Do you feel maybe that you're you're perhaps abandoned by God? If that's you, then the problem is that you have lost sight of the glory of God. And the only way to recapture that is to listen to him. Why not make a real effort this week just to, to listen to God by reading his Bible, by studying his scripture, by listening to, to sermons on it, by asking yourself, what is this telling me about Jesus? God is inviting us to see his glory. And when you read his word and see it in his son, then you'll begin to experience it. Then you'll want to do what Ezekiel does. Just fall down and worship. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are there and you are not silent. Thank you that you make yourself known. In this vision, we see how you made yourself known to Ezekiel and the exiles. We see in this appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. We see your authority. We see your your sovereign mobility. And we see your splendorous majesty, your beauty, and your awesome nature. And that's such an incredible thing to behold. And yet we see it clearer because of Jesus. He is the radiance of your glory, the exact representation of your being. Thank you that you have spoken to us so clearly in Christ. Father, I pray that we would see Jesus in every passage of Scripture that our knowledge of him would grow and develop, that we would be enamored and captivated by who he is, that we would yearn for more of his glory. We want to see it. We want to see it. Father, as we come now to the Lord's table, we are reminded of the moment where Jesus was glorified. That on that cross as he died for our sin, that was the greatest expression of love your most clearest revelation of your salvation for us. That was the moment of glory. And we praise you for that. Help us to remember now the cross and to doing so to enlarge our understanding of Christ. And may we be captivated by him and what he has done for us. Pray this 
in his name. Amen.